0: Mino Lion Media presents Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith. Born to music royalty and a strong voice on Sirius XM, she takes the mundane and makes it even interesting. Join me for a live conversation with Jenny Hutt, who is not only a radio host extraordinaire, but someone who simply you just like. Jen, welcome to the conversation.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: So this was great. Uh, I have been uh, a guest on your show many times on Sirius SiriusXM. Uh, and so we're turning the tables a little bit uh, and having a nice conversation. Uh, I have come to enjoy being on your show. I've come to enjoy you uh, over uh, the years. And so uh, once again, thanks for joining me. And, um, you know, I was doing some research on you, some stuff I didn't know. So I'm just going to kind of just talk to you. Like, first of all, I didn't know that you were part of... Media entertainment world uh, <laughs> your last name, your maiden name yeah. is compliment, correct?
1: yeah mm-hmm.
0: So what's up with that? Talk about that
1: I mean I it's it's just my heritage. so I, I grew up with a dad in the music business and he was pretty much um, a legend still is and uh, so yeah, I grew up around entertainment and then my brother also went into entertainment and Brian is the co-creator of billions. He also co-wrote wrote Rounders, and he um, just did Super Pumped, which just started airing on Showtime. Then we have a sister, Stacy. She's not in entertainment, but she's in another business with me.
0: Okay, so let's go back to your dad, first of all. Sure. Uh, your dad, you, you know, you just can't. Your dad is a huge <laughs> icon uh, in the business, yeah. so I'm not going to let you just kind of run over that like that. Yeah, um, he's my but dad,
1: I'm, but yes, yes.
0: I know, I know, but I'm interested in – what is it like, for those of us who have not had um, that pedigree, what is it like mm-hmm. growing up um, in a house where you have such an uber-successful dad yeah. in the entertainment industry, which also means celebrity, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. For and sure. so, yeah, what is it like as a kid growing up in that kind of environment?
1: So, I can tell you there were parts of it that were incredibly fun, um, in that we got to spend time around, yeah, the biggest talents of that day. So back in the 70s and 80s and 90s when Wilson Phillips was like, you know, number 1, they were in Boston and I got to hang out with them because I went to Tufts. So there they were. I don't even know why they were on campus, but I just have a picture of them somewhere in Tufts sweatshirts. And we spent a lot of time with Barbara Streisand and you don't get more talented than than Barbara. And just watching my father Use sort of his skill set that who knew he had it as a kid? No one. But like he put together Diana Ross and Lionel Richie for Endless Love. He put oh. together Barbara Streisand and Donna Summer for Enough is Enough. And he just had this great respect for talent. And I think that's what he instilled in us more than anything else. The celebrity of it didn't really matter to him. To us, we were like, this is so cool or whatever. Or going to concerts was fun to go backstage. But really, it was more about talented people and then watching them have a work ethic behind it. So I think we really learned about drive and the importance of doing the work because you really can't accomplish anything without it. And if you're talented, but you don't hustle, then nothing's mm-hmm. going to happen.
0: Yeah. And so when you're growing up in that environment, yeah, do you say to yourself, I could be like Barbara Streisand or... I could be like my dad, like what kind of influence does it have on a young girl's yeah. dreams What or career might be?
1: <laughs> well, I was always a really good vocalist, but I knew I wasn't going to be a pop star because I saw so many of them. And that just was not my destiny. I was not the kid who was sort of out there wanting to pursue her craft. I liked to sing and I had a good voice, but I didn't write songs. And he would always say like, The greatest performers are songwriters. The greatest artists are actually writing. Vocalists are a dime a dozen, which is actually, I mean, true. So I didn't really think that I would grow up and be a singer, even though I could sing. I did have in the back of my mind that maybe I would grow up and do something in media. But my dad made me go to law school. So the greatest gift like I think our parents gave us was education. Our parents mm. paid for our education. And I think that was probably the biggest game changer that there could possibly be. Because to be able to go to college and go to law school, not really knowing what I was gonna then do, I think set me up to ultimately have the life that I wanted to have, even though I didn't really know what that was gonna be. So mm. I in the back of my mind, I wanted to do something, but I really, I, I went to law school. I then went to acting school. I met my husband in an acting class. And got married. He's not an actor. He's an insurance. Got married. Got pregnant. Had two babies. And then at 35 years old, I went to help my father as his assistant because the assistant that he had—it's a whole story. I caught her cheat. Her, I caught her stealing. It was like a—it's the craziest oh. back in the early days of the internet. And um, so he was without someone helping him. He was going to start working with Martha Stewart. I. Raised my hand at the dinner table and was like, I'll go because we all lived together. Like, this is, you asked what it was like. We very much just had a normal, crazy New York family, but not the kind of crazy New York family that was sort of tripping the light fantastic. Like, I wasn't going to nightclubs. I wasn't hanging out with anybody. I wasn't doing those kind of things because my parents, they would have never fostered that environment. I didn't drink. I wasn't like having lots of sex. Like I wasn't doing any of that. I was the most, I don't know, I guess sort of nerdy, but like not nerdy within my friend group, just kind of normal within my friend group. So I, we lived in Long Island. We weren't in New York city. So I was kind of removed, I guess, also from that kind of lifestyle. But at 35 years old, I, as I was saying, I lived next door to the house that I grew up in my sister lived next door as well. My brother lives in New York City. And my dad needed somebody to help him. And I was already a lawyer. I wasn't really practicing. I had practiced a little bit. I was a stay-at-home mom. And I wanted to do something. And so I just said, you know what? Stacey, my sister, is great with all the kids. She can handle the kids. My husband's office was in Long Island. I was like, I will come. I will, I will assist you. So I went to work for him and as his personal assistant. And I was so good, Ian. I was like the greatest personal assistant you've ever seen. I mean, and I learned a lot because people are really mean to personal assistants. And those, I have a different name from my dad. So those who didn't know it was me were so nasty. And then they'd find out and they'd be like, oh, and whatever. It just was like a great lesson in human nature and how you should never talk down to anybody, regardless of their station in life. I mean, come on just gross, which I think is another lesson that kind of came from my dad and my mom that that everybody should be treated the same. It's like all jobs are relevant and everybody does their part in society. And one person's gig isn't more important than another. And your gig doesn't sort of define your value, which I think was key uh, because we weren't raised in a way that was sort of elitist, even though clearly we were privileged and 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 lived a sort of fabulous life in that way. Um yeah, no, but so I said I would be his personal assistant and I go to work for him and I'm the best ever. And this is the part that um is sort of interesting to me because my first media job was co-hosting a radio show with Martha's daughter. And Martha's daughter asked me to do the show. Alexis asked me to do the show. My father had nothing to do with it to the point where when he heard our demo was like, oh, my God, Jenny's going to sink the ship, like didn't want any part of this. And Martha was the one who ultimately greenlit it. And so for five and a half years, I had this incredible radio show and some TV shows with Alexis. And it was really on the job training. And that kind of established me in the radio world and on Sirius XM. And then when that job ended and that partnership ended.
0: Wait, but how did you and Alexis actually hook up though?
1: Because I was assisting my father at Martha's office and Alexis would come in all the time. It was where her mother worked. So Mm -hmm. we sort of hit it off. And Mm -hmm we had dynamic conversations and we were very, very different from an optical perspective from sort of our life experiences. And it just worked. And I think she got that feeling and we would talk for hours. And so she was supposed to do this radio show on Sirius XM on Martha's channel. She asked me to do it with her. And I was like, okay, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Five and a half years later, I had learned my craft and then I got to go out on my own Sirius XM hired me. And I was incredibly lucky that they decided to let me have my own show. And that was now, I mean, I started 16 and a half years ago is when I started broadcasting on Sirius XM, but I've had my own show since 2012.
0: Well, absolutely. You learned your craft and you learned it. Well, you are absolutely fantastic as a host um, on the radio. And what I find always wonderful, um, when I visit your show is the authenticity. And I think that the listeners can hear that in your upbringing. I mean, you're just so authentic and it's not about pretenses. It's not about mm-hmm. um, you're better than anyone else. It's just about you being real about your experiences. And I think, I think that people can, can feel and hear that in your voice and your stories.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, look, we all have pain. I think the human experience is tough and, and, Even if you grow up with privilege, it doesn't mean you grow up with an easy road. Easy in some ways, sure. Like I said, my education being paid for, that is a gift that lasts a lifetime, truly. But... There were tons of of stumbling blocks and tons of moments and times where I felt inadequate and still do like everybody else. And I had a weight problem throughout my life that was really a source of contention between my mother and me and losing my mother almost 14 years ago was a total sucker punch.
0: What do you mean it was a source of contention?
1: So my mother thought that I was the moon and the stars And that I was brilliant and talented and all the things. The only problem was that I was too fat. And that kind of clouded every other good thing about me. And the importance put on my physicality was so great that as a young girl, I didn't understand that it wasn't the only thing that mattered. To me, it was sort of like your weight determines your worth or eclipses your worth. And I don't think my mother meant to be so detrimental in that way. I don't think she meant to cause me to question the who that I was or to limit my beliefs in what I could be because of my weight. But that was the result. And having lost her while I was already a mother really gave me clarity and understanding that everything she did was because she was trying to prevent my pain. She was trying to prevent my having hardship, knowing that the world was as it was. And the world is unkind to fat people. There's a lot of fat bias. There's a lot of sort of negativity ascribed to somebody he, who struggles with their weight. And it's awful because obesity, as we know now, is a disease. Obesity is something that different people have different reasons why they're overweight or why they're obese. There are a multitude of ways to manage one's weight. And if you want to seek help from a doctor, you can. If you don't, you don't have to. But we're learning in the medical community, because I know this is your passion too, Dr. Ian Smith. There's, there's ways that people can find their happy, healthy weight. But not everyone's meant to be a size zero. Not everyone's meant to be a size two. And that range that we now know exists as a healthy weight range for people wasn't that way 30 years ago. And I think my mother was terrified. She was terrified what that would mean for my life. And so without having the tools, I guess, to deal with it, she dealt with it not the best way.
0: So it's interesting. And this, this really resonates with me because, you know, I talk to my kids all the time and I'm a little hard on them about certain issues. And I try to explain to them that the reason why I am discussing this particular issue with you is not that it matters to me. Yeah. What, the reason why I'm doing is because I know how the world is out there and I don't want you to go out into that sometimes cruel, negative, vicious world, and have this, what they think, not me, what they think is a vulnerability. And so, my goodness, you telling me that your mother was trying to prevent your pain, as a parent and a dad, I've tried to do the same thing, but you just taught me something, which is that I need to make sure that while I am trying to help them with that, that I do it in a way that doesn't, right? I mean, that's, yeah. So that's it.
1: Correct. And they're, they're gosh, we're parents too. So my husband always says, like, when we talk to our kids and give them guidance or do what you're talking about, we, we take a deep breath and we ask ourselves, are we telling them this thing for us or are we telling it for them? Like for whose benefit are we having this conversation? So that's the first thing. The second thing is you have to really think about where it's coming from in the sense that am I worried about my kids' weight because they're unhealthy or am I worrying about it because they don't fit into a certain pair of jeans? Like you have to really have a clear perspective. I mean, that was the only thing I think that I did right as a mother so far. (laughs) My kids are 23 and 21, and both of them have really healthy relationships with food and their bodies. Now, I say that my daughter's like a normal 21-year-old girl, so she gets fluffy, and then she's not fluffy, and then she's fluffy, and then she's not fluffy, and society has its impact, but she thinks she is to die for. She loves herself from head to toe. And that to me is my greatest win because I just didn't want any of the body stuff to define her. And she's gorgeous and that's lucky and that's genetics. But like it's a, that I was very conscious to not mess my kids up the way that I was kind of screwed up. And I've done a lot of work. I mean, I think I'm sure you've done just as much work, I'm sure with your own sort of life and, and being a doctor and caring for people and, and sort of being a black man in America. I mean, there's just, it's like inherent that you have to do work that most of us don't have to do. So Mm. I, I, you know, you get it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because, you know, I think about you and I think about kind of where you were, the family you grew up in and then hearing about, you know, the weight issues. And then I see you now. Right. And I see how you own it. I see how you are unafraid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I love watching your IG and your workouts (laughs) and what you eat. And it's just, there's something refreshingly honest about it, right? And it's not about all these, all these things we kind of put out there, like, you know, what the standards are and, you know, the perfect this and I do that. It's just like, yo, this is life and it's part of life. And I think that I'm sure your listeners and viewers and followers really appreciate that.
1: Yeah, well, that look, I, I know that you live your life a certain way. I've seen it. I know that you exercise all the time. I see from what you post. I see from your output. I don't know anyone with a work ethic like yours. I really don't. Maybe my brother. um, Maybe me. But that kind of thing that every day you do the things that you need to do, it keeps you going. It keeps your brain in like a good spot. Like for people who are listening that don't understand people who have crazy output, it's not because we're so great. It's because that's the only way we can quiet the demons that like keep us up at night is by doing the work. It's like a shark. You have to just keep on moving, right? So I, 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 under, I know that you get it. And I know that you live your life a very specific and intentional way. And so do I. But within the sort of boundaries of how I choose to live my life so that I am sane, I have to allow myself a flexibility so I could manage my emotions when it comes to food and when it comes to exercise. Because when you've lived a life where you've been super overweight and had to sort of deal with that, I lost a lot of weight 12 years ago. I, I, For me, if I tell myself I'm not allowed to eat this or I can only eat that, that's gonna make me run in the direction of whatever's the thing that I've said I can never eat again. So I've had to learn a way of sort of incorporating everything as I need to do it. And in reframing the conversation in my brain as choice. And what I want to share when I post my, what I eat in a day videos is I'm not telling anyone to do what I do. I am not a medical doctor. I am not a nutritionist. I'm just a 52 year old woman doing the best that I can do. And if I could find my way, then I want that to empower anyone listening or watching to know that they can find their way. And it doesn't have to look anything like mine. And that's cool. So like the fact that I might eat cake one day, three times in the same day works for me because maybe the next day I don't. And I could be a vegetarian for three years and then have a turkey burger and not have meat again for another three years. Like there's no rules. It's just figuring out what's going to be right for your specific body. And I also think that we have to be open about support. I have great medical doctors in my life that because I lost my mother almost 14 years ago to pancreatic cancer, I am screened. I am watched and I make sure to be watched. It's part of my job to make sure I go to look for skin cancer and any of the gynecological cancers and any of the digestive cancers. I do all the things because I'm trying to keep myself alive. And thankfully Mm -hmm. I got Good medical coverage and practitioners, and I do the things. So I go to the cardiologist, I'm 52 years old. You should have a baseline at age 50. You have to. So I want to share that you can have a very livable, functioning life while also taking good care of yourself.
0: Yeah, I think that, um, that people these days, everything is so programmatic. Listen, I write programs. That's what I do. I write diet books. I know, but they're Uh, so
1: helpful. But here's the thing about your programs, and I'm going to interrupt you to say this because I want your listeners to hear it. Your programs are super direct, super easy, and super flexible in that you could take what you want and leave the rest. So I can use your recipes and I can use your guidelines, incorporate them right into my daily life because on their own, they stand perfectly.
0: Wow, that's interesting. I've never thought about that. And thanks for saying that because I really, when I try to think about the reader or the user, I really try to put myself, honestly, I've never been overweight, never struggled with weight, but obviously I've been working with people overweight for a long time. Yeah. But I try to put myself into their situation in the sense of okay, when I'm writing this plan, can they afford the foods? Is it tasty? Do they have access? Is it flexible enough? Like, Is it, are the meals, is it too long to cook this recipe? So I really try to figure out because what I really want at the end of the day, and you spoke to this, I want people to figure out for themselves. I can't actually figure it out for you because I don't, I don't know your life. Like I don't, but, but I'm giving you just some guidelines so that hopefully those are tools you can use to figure it out.
1: Yeah. And by the way, I, I think what you're doing is exactly right. And frankly, a little bit brave right now in this culture because there are so many people without medical degrees, by the way, saying, don't worry about it. Eat whatever you want, whenever you want, whatever amount you want. Your weight doesn't matter. Just be Zen about it. Just eat intuitively without fully explaining that like intuitive eating is a whole, it's a not just a program. It was created to help people with anorexia. It was created to help people who didn't know how to eat because they were not eating because of a mental illness. Its mm. original goal was to retrain people how to nourish themselves. It's not for weight loss. So now that there's this whole like community of people saying you should be give don't worry about losing weight. Don't make weight loss an intended something in your food life and in your nutrition life. What? If you want to lose weight, You shouldn't be vilified because you want to lose some weight. It's okay to want to lose weight. And we need resources like you that have put together really reasonable plans. You don't tell anybody to do anything that's rash or dangerous or disordered. You're saying eat whole wheat pasta, eat brown rice, eat protein, eat fruits, eat vegetables, have your fun foods when you have them, exercise a little bit. I mean, there's nothing that you're recommending that any medical professional would say, oh no, Mm-mm. how could you possibly tell someone to eat some noodles? Like we like noodles, but it's brave because there has been this backlash, man. That's like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I'm, people tell me I'm eating disordered because I care about maintaining my weight loss. I'm like, but if I, if I don't, then I'm gonna gain 70 pounds. And then for my body chemistry, like that'll kill me. I, my body, I can't do it.
0: You know, it's interesting, Um, I I learn all the time I'm gonna be a student of life for life. Um, So I have to make a confession now. I actually have watched you so much in your videos and watching on a treadmill and all those things. (laughs) Guess what I did? I went and bought a treadmill.
1: Stop, it's the best thing ever. I can't believe you didn't have one, what?
0: You inspired, believe it or not, you inspired me, I swear to you, you inspired me to get my own treadmill. It just got installed yesterday. It just got installed yesterday. Let me tell you why I didn't own a treadmill. Let me tell you why. Because number one, I like going out on the pavement, on the ground, okay? And number two, I like gyms, actually. Yep. I really like gyms, and I felt as though if I put too much equipment in my house, I wouldn't go to the gym and I'd get all, you know, kind of fancy and just go downstairs. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I like to work, I like to work to get to work, you know what I mean? Yep. So. I finally said with a pandemic that, you know, gyms were not a big option for me. And I was watching your videos and I was like, why don't I get a treadmill in my house? Like, I was like, it's too expensive. It's too, then I was like, well, I can afford it. Yeah. I- they're expensive, but I could afford it. So I did it. So I wanted to say to you that you inspired
1: Amazing.
0: me I'm so to happy. get a treadmill in yeah. my house. The kids were on it yesterday. And Amazing. it's great. Thank you for Okay,
1: that. so let me tell you something cuz what you just said and I can afford it. So whenever people talk about they don't want to pay for exercise equipment or they don't want to pay for whatever it might be. Now, if you're if you're struggling economically, the treadmill's not going to be your first purchase. Of course not. But there are alternatives. There are things like I have this mini elliptical, it was $100. It is the greatest piece of equipment. It's small. You can move it from room to room, and I can get on it and get my steps in while watching a TV show in my den, $100. The point of the treadmill for me is now, as you know, exercise has become sort of what makes me happy, and mm-hmm. my little home gym is my happy place. I built it over during the pandemic. My husband said to me, honey, let's just take the bed out of that room. It, there was a bed a Peloton bike on the right and a treadmill on the left. It was absurd and carpet. And he was like, let's remove the bed. Cause nobody has ever stayed in that guest room. So that's number one. We've lived here for 20 years. Let's, let's just change this dynamic in this room. Took out the bed. We fixed the floor, put in like, I had the treadmill. I've had the same treadmill for almost 10 years. And wow. it's a beautiful matrix treadmill that I recently got the belt re uh, updated. So it it works like new. So it's 13 years old. So they pay for themselves over time, but it's where I watch TV. So like I can watch two hours of American Idol, Ian, and I'm so happy because now I've watched the show and also I've gotten my steps. And when I walk, it changes my mood. So like if I'm in a bad mood about something, I will go and walk it off. And not that that replaces therapy or replaces talking or replaces medication if you need medication, but it really, really helps profoundly. And I love doing busy work with my treadmill. I've been doing that since 2012. Like, this isn't new for me. So now it's like people are also doing it. I'm thrilled about walking treadmills. And I'm like, I have created a treadmill desk like truly 10 years ago. So it just, I love that you got one and I love that your kids are on it.
0: I can't speak enough about how exercise and endorphins, the body's natural happy chemicals are so freaking amazing all day long. Before I go, I do this little thing called Dr. Ian's Random Seven, uh, where I ask you seven quick questions and you give quick answers. But before that, I want to close out this part of the conversation talking about your show. Mm -hmm. I want you to explain to my listeners what your show is about and why it's something that would be a great addition to their life.
1: So my show on SiriusXM it's called Just Jenny, and uh, I interview people like you. You you're off and on on a Wait Wednesday, but sometimes I'll throw you in on another day if it's about a novel you've written. Because the again, I don't even know how you do it, but you seem to. I've never in my life seen anything like it. Uh, but I interview really interesting people that I think would be interesting to my listener. I also talk about my everyday life because I think that we are all sort of the same in how we have emotions, we have life stressors, we have struggles. And I think it's better to be open about them because like, then you realize you're not alone and there's incredible power in community. I deal with a lot of real life heavy stuff because I think that that's also important conversations to have. But I love the sort of flexibility to go between talking about Ukraine and talking about racism in America to then talking about my diet because that's like real life stuff. Um, talk parenting. I don't say I'm a parenting expert. I just say I'm a mom. I am limited in what I talk about with my children because I protect their privacy. So I only sort of share my kids' stuff if they've given me permission. Same with my husband. And uh, it's just like real life sort of playing out on the radio and a place that people, if you laugh a little bit, might get mad at me. Um and that's okay. I'm there for it. I take callers. Everybody's sort of a part of my show. I've been doing it for so long that I feel like the the bulk of my listeners have been with me for many years. And it's sort of, it's, it's its own community in a sense. We've kind of grown up together.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Um, okay. Here we go. Dr. Ian. Yeah. said Number one, what makes Jenny Hutt really angry?
1: Oh God. Uh, when people are treated poorly. I just can't like if I'm and I'm not even talking about the stuff that we all know when people are treated poorly, like race racism in America and, and people dying. I'm talking about someone being rude to a server in a restaurant. <sighs> oh, I go crazy. Or you've been in a makeup room before because obviously you've done a ton of TV. I've been in makeup rooms before when people are nasty to those mm. who are trying to make us beautiful. What? Mm. Like I freak the gap service persons are so key to our society that if you're mean to them what the fuck is wrong with you so mm-hmm. that's you know that kind of how people treat others makes me really really angry and people who are mean to animals can't handle that
0: if you were not a radio host what would you be doing
1: think I'd be a therapist or a doctor
0: who have you never met um deceased or alive who you would like to sit down and have dinner with and why.
1: So this is such a tough one because I've met a lot of people. I haven't had dinner with all these people, but I've met sort of the ones that everyone says like Oprah. And I've, so I've had like that, that experience, right. And, and been in close contact with her, which by the way, you, no matter how many times you meet her, you go like this. Oh my God. It's Oprah. Like if you flip out. Cause you just can't like one time I showed up to a small dinner that I thought was just going to be like some people. And like one of the six people was Oprah. And, uh, she ended up leaving like 15 minutes in, but I looked at my friend who invited me and was like, could you like, give me the heads up next time? Because like, I want to know if Oprah is going to be there. Like that's something I, so I don't have a case of cognitive dissonance that I just had when I walked in. Like I was a bum, like I was an idiot in like a, it was terrible. Um, I have said for years that I, I want to talk to Shonda Rhimes because we're the same age and she creates such good TV and and the kind that appeals to me. And she went to Dartmouth and I went to Tufts and I feel like we would know people in common and I just think she's cool. So I would love to sit down with her. Um, I'd love to punch Putin, but that's not really dinner.
0: Join the queue. Yeah. Uh, number four. What does success look like to you?
1: Um, Success to me looks like um, leaving my mark that I was a good person. I mean, yeah, I would like to have financial security. Of course, we all would, right? And for my kids to be set up and all that stuff. And you'll know this because I don't think your kids are college and grad school age, but putting two kids through college and my son's currently in law school, It's just never ending. Like you make money, you open the window and you put it right out the window. Like that's just unfortunately how it goes. Um, So yeah, I'd love that too. But really I just want when I die very long time from now, I hope I just, when anybody thinks of me or remembers me, they, they think that I was a good person and that I did my best to, to help others who maybe couldn't help themselves and to be a voice for, for people who maybe couldn't speak as loudly.
0: What do you own that's really expensive and you don't feel guilty about?
1: Oh my gosh, that is so good. So, um, no, it is. It's so, so good. Uh, I drive a really nice car and I mean, I lease it, but whatever. I drive a really nice car and I am happy. I drive a really nice car cause I used to commute before the pandemic. And so my car was like my office and I loved that, that I could, zoom around it. I mean it's a BMW SUV, but a fast one, like the souped up one, like the the whatever is the fastest of the X5s. And I love my car. Um so that's one thing. We also finally bought a couch, which in in the pandemic, we got like this great joy bird fancy giant couch in our den. And we had been living, we have a lot of dogs. And so we had converted like part of our kitchen to a dog room. And like we were never in the den because it was gross because the dogs had ruined it. And we took back our kitchen. We took back our den and the dogs are in it, but on this incredible couch. And we love it so much that like my husband and I each sit on a chaise on each side of the couch and watch TV at night together, but apart. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Because like I get to sit on my chaise, he's on his chaise, both have our phones and it just I just feel grateful that we have it. Not not bad about it.
0: Yeah. Um, who have you always had a crush on?
1: Oh, man. That's really hard. I don't know. I mean, I haven't had a lot of, like, celebrity crushes because, again, I've met so many of them. They become people really quickly. I mean, you know how that is. Like, you meet someone yep. famous and you're like, oh, you're just you. <laughs> <laughs> you're just, you're just a person. Um, yeah. So I don't really have a celebrity crush. I don't have like a hall pass person.
0: Okay. Lastly. Yeah. Someone finds an article. Yeah. A um, hundred years from now. Yeah. And that article talks about Jenny Hutt. Yeah. What would you like that article to say?
1: I think I'd like that article to say if she could do it, anyone can. Cause uh, I kind of have this thing. My dad and I talk about it that I am like, half aspirational and half pathetic. And I think that's very much what most people are. So I do feel like with my anxiety and my weight struggles and sort of just battling insecurities like the next person, the fact that I get up each day and I get through the day and I put myself out there, I would have never imagined that I'd be okay with criticism. And you know, my friend, we get criticism on the internet all the time, but I am okay. And I think if I could put myself out there the way in which I do, then anybody can, however they want to, like it doesn't have to be public and it doesn't have to be media, but you get to live the life you want to live. And if, if I think that an article written about me would say, like, she let me know that I was okay because that's really what I want. Like I'm weird and I'm quirky and I'm okay. So like, then you are too.
0: The phenomenally authentic Jenny Hutt, host Thank of the Just Jenny show on SiriusXM. Thank you for joining the conversation.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the conversation today. I hope it has a positive impact on your life. Of course, you can reach out to me and follow me on social. On Twitter, it's at Dr. Ian Smith, Dr. I-A-N Smith on Instagram at Dr. Ian Smith. Make sure you spell the doctor out, I-A-N Smith. And on Facebook, Dr. Ian Smith. And of course, if you want to transform your life starting in eight weeks, pick up a copy of my new book. It's called Burn, Melt, Shred and join our Facebook group by the same name, Burn, Melt, Shred. I do Facebook live sessions, Zoom sessions, all free to help you transform your life. And make sure you check out my website, www.doctoreansmith.com. Make sure you spell out the doctor. Take care. Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith is hosted by Dr. Ian Smith, associate producer, Ariel Mancibo, executive producers, Ian Smith and Ken Johnson. Find the Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcast Or on IG at Dr. Ian Smith. Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith is a Mean Old line Media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's.